back to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How you doing, Barney? Had a good week? Uh, yeah, it's been it's been busy, man. It's felt very busy this week, um, but it's and I feel I can get ill, but what can you do? It's not. Um, yeah, how are you? <laughs> good to start a podcast on a positive note. Man, I've been in sorry for myself all day. I don't know why. <laughs> well, um, time to cheer ourselves up with a bit of. The beautiful game. Yes, indeed. How about you? you? Had a good week, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good week, very good week. We should just say apologies for the lack of uh, communications over the weekend. Not much social media happening. Me, myself, and Barney. You know, sometimes life just gets in the way. But uh, you were we... uh, you were at a music festival, weren't you? Yeah, as you can probably tell by my my hoarse voice, I was at. <laughs> I was at I was, for the first time in my life. I was at a music festival at the weekend. Did the whole thing, camping, buying overpriced food, sleeping for three hours a night. Got the full experience. I was trying to think of um, a sort of joke to say, "Oh, who were you going to see?" And then I was going to put a, a Premier League of player's name in instead of a band. But the best I could do was um, Lady Guga. Remember the guy who played for Real? Oh, plays for Real. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you didn't make that joke. Then. <laughs> Well, look, there was plenty of good football at the weekend. It was a really fantastic weekend, the Premier League. And of course, earlier than that, there was some European football as well. This show is going to be previewing this week's European football, a little bit of transfer news, rounding up some of the best games of the week. And then a little third section where we're going to have a little chat about an article that me and Barney have been reading. So stay tuned for all of that. But let's get started, Barney. European football. There's only one place we can start, really. Portugal got two teams in the Europa Conference League at the moment, but it's fair to say we're slightly more excited about one of them. Passos beat Spurs. 1-0, an incredible night. You have to say, a well-deserved result. Uh, and we're very much looking forward to the second leg. Absolutely, man. I can't wait to can't wait to be there. Yes. <laughs> Me and Barney successfully procured our tickets last week. I was at 10am on Friday when the tickets went on general sale. I was sitting there on the computer waiting for the tickets to get through. It was quite stressful trying to get seats. Obviously, there's uh, no official away section, so I hope we're not in too rowdy a position, but me and Barney are going to be there. And also what we're going to try and do is we don't know what it's going to turn out like, but we're definitely going to try and record something yeah. at the game on Thursday. So there'll be some kind of audio content coming out towards the end of the week. So so to keep an eye out for that. Going back to the first leg out, but I mean, it was such a good game. It was, uh, Premier Sports were covering it, so the commentary was a bit pretty naff, to be honest with you. It wasn't yeah. really worth it. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it was such a good performance from Pastor Ferreira. They played, they just executed a game plan really well. I mean... You know, say what you want about Spurs and the team they put out, but passers were better than that's that's mm. as simple as that. And, and, and they deserved that win. And we got a lot of typical stuff from the UK press as well about you know how rotated the Spurs team was and how how young the Spurs team was. And obviously, look, we're not stupid. We know it wasn't the same team that played at the weekend. But you look at some of the names on that team sheet, there was definitely a you know a very very strong Spurs side who you know only really had themselves to blame for for not getting a result out of the game. What do you expect from the second leg then? Because obviously, I think we slightly disagree on how we see it going. I personally think Nuno now has had his hand forced. And I think he's going to have to play some of the bigger players, but I'm not sure if you agree with that. Well, no, I just thought in the week when you're thinking about it, like I, I felt like there would have been a, a clear decision from Tottenham. And I, when I say Tottenham, I mean people higher up than Nuno. I think... Um, there was a clear decision to not take this com- uh, competition too seriously, you know, play a very heavily rotated team, give some youngsters an opportunity. Because I think Nuno would have known what Pastor de Ferro were going to bring. And I think mm. he would have, I, I feel like he would have picked a better side because it was evident that players in that Tottenham team 
weren't good enough and and Pasadifera, you know, were able to play a better game. I think Carter Vickers springs to mind at centre-back for Tottenham. Yeah. I think he was just overrun, didn't have a chance. I expect the same teams, a similar team to come out in the in the away leg, which makes it all more exciting for me. Yeah, I mean, the prospect of that is really exciting because, as you say, it wasn't some kind of smash and grab. It was a really well-deserved 1-0 victory. And I think the thing that I was most impressed with was how well Pasadifera was limited, Spurs. You know, they really didn't have so many chances they didn't have one shot on target, did they? Exactly. So, you know, really, really uh, well played from Passos. And yeah, just to reiterate, me and Barney are absolutely buzzing to get down there. <laughs> oh, first day. Wait. <laughs> well, it's easy to forget as well. And there is another team involved in, in the Conference League. We don't want to overlook Santa Clara. Easy to prioritise the Passos game, what with all the buzz around that. And with uh, Santa Clara kicking off so late uh, last Thursday. But they also got a really, really excellent victory 2-1 um, over Partizan Belgrade fantastic result I mean we're realistically now looking at Barney three teams making it into uh, proper European competition from these qualifying groups to come away with a win from the first leg I think is, is brilliant uh, puts them in a really strong position I think they've got the the abilities you know to, to go Is it they're going to the second leg's away isn't it so they're yeah. going to go away and grind out result I think they've got that in them I think they're obviously taking this competition seriously, I think, Santa Clara, because it has been easy. For me, I've obviously passed forever and caught more of my attention because of the, you know, the prospect of Tottenham, but I, they look good for it. And I think um, players like Maritza, players like Carlos Junior, who I think we're going to talk about in a bit, mm-hmm. but they really stepped up and I think, um, you know, put them in a, a fantastic position. I, I really fancy them to go through. Yeah, absolutely buzzing for them. Another great result. And it was a really nice moment on social media where the two teams congratulated each oh, other. Yeah. It, just, it just goes to show that the positivity around uh, the Conference League in Portugal because, you know, there's a lot of places in Europe who are kind of looking down on it. But I think we're, you know, in Portugal, the fans are very much on board and this is seen as a great opportunity for two teams to, to do well. And they have done fantastically well so far. Whatever happens in the second leg for both those teams, I think they can both be proud of the campaign that they've had so far. And of course, there is a third team in European qualification that is Benfica. Unfortunately, we can't preview their game because we're recording this on Monday and the game is happening on Tuesday. So fingers crossed, they take a 2-1 win into the second leg against PSV. Fingers crossed, we're hoping for a good result there because we want to see them in the Champions League. And if all goes to plan, Barney, the Champions League draw is happening this Thursday. We've got the very exciting prospects of three Portuguese teams in the Champions League with Sporting in pot one, Porto in pot three and Benfica hopefully in pot four. So all very exciting. We'll find out who their opponents are, Barney. I feel so sorry for Sporting because they've done the hard work to get into pot one. But if you look at some of the teams that are in pot two and three, the possible group that they could have, this is just me picking names out of a hat, but it's possible that Sporting in pot one of the Champions League could be in a group with Real Madrid, Ajax and AC Milan. It was always going to be tough, what you know, in, in the Champions League. A lot of names on paper that look look frightening, like you said. But you got to remember what um what we saw Porto do last season. You know, yeah. I think Sporting have got character. I think Benfica have shown me this season so far they've got they've got the character. You know, they'll, they'll give any team a game, man. They'll, they'll it'll be. I just yeah, I cannot wait for that draw. It's going to be so good, isn't it? We look forward to that draw happening on Thursday. Let's do a little bit of transfer news, Barney. We haven't had transfer news to do in a while, but it's been a few yeah. big moves uh, this week. And probably the most talked about transfer was, of course, Carlos Jr. to Al-Shabaab in Saudi Arabia for reported 3.5 million euros. A signing that was announced less than 24 hours after he scored in a Conference League game against Partizan Belgrade. 
a lot to raise your eyes about here for me, Barney. The timing of the announcement, the price tag, and the destination. I don't know where you want to start with this one. I think in terms of the timing, I think if, if it was all going on behind, you know, in, behind the scenes, you're always going to pay Carlos Junior. If, if if he's in the squad, if he hasn't like if he, if he's there, he's going to get paid, isn't he? Whether whether or not he's about to move the next day, mm. particularly in the conference, you know, they had to, they had to play him. Oh, I'm, I'm disappointed, man. I really am disappointed. Mm. I, I, I mean, best of luck to him. Like, uh, and it's obviously he's going for a, a much bigger wages than he get here, and a fair play to that. Like, you can't can't blame anyone for making that decision. But the, the thing I was thinking about is like he's already putting in numbers again this season. That, you know, that looking similar to last season. I reckon he'll probably even come much away with better. more goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll come away with more goals. And then, and then next summer, where could he be? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I know that yeah. room, that the Benfica room has sort of faded away. But man, if he he could easily, easily see him at a big three club, possibly yeah. another club in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely. I, I never begrudge these players for going and, and taking a payday that, you know, could set up their family for life and, and they, you know, change their kids' lives forever. So you never deny those players the opportunity. But I totally agree with you from a footballing perspective. And, you know, I don't really, I don't want to be disrespectful to Saudi Arabian football fans, but I don't think it's disrespectful. It's just factual to say that going there uh, is in no way near as prestigious as going to uh, a European club, and especially a club which could be playing European football, which is the level that I think he could be playing at. Because as you say, the numbers that he's put up recently, I think it was something like six goals in his first eight games of the season. Just fantastic numbers. So um, from a footballing perspective, you really think about what kind of mark, especially only 26 years of age, the kind of mark that he still could have made in Europe. But fair play and good luck to him. Well, look, another breaking news, Barney. Porto have finally signed a new left-back. Someone sound the alarm because Sergio Contessa was listening to the podcast. Well, to be fair, it's not just us. Literally, everyone's been calling them to sign a second left-back. It was easy to get lost amongst all the Conference League drama last week. Uh, but Brazilian left-back Wendell, 29-year-old, signed from Bayer Leverkusen in Germany. I can't say, honestly, that I know a lot about him, but he has been playing at a good level in the Bundesliga for a while now. So you hope that he will be a very useful addition and fill that gaping left-back hole that Porto have. I think the only thing we need to know about him is that he's left-footed. That's, that's what we're trying to... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, to be fair, the, the, the fee looks quite decent. You know, there's only like 3, 3.5 million euros, I think. So, um, And for a player from the Bundesliga, like you say, he's been there a while. That's, that's a good bit of business. They needed to do it, didn't they? And, mm. uh, and I'm glad they've done it. I'm excited to see him. Yeah, no, I'm excited to see him too. And, and hopefully he will he will live up live up to what they need and be good competition for uh, Zayu Tanusi. And of course, there was another bit of transfer action involving the Bundesliga. Luka Wolschmidt finalised a move that had been rumoured for a few days before that he was going to Wolfsburg. Uh, and he did indeed sign for €12 million, Euros, more or less the price tag that Benfica allegedly paid for him this time last year. But I have to say, I am very disappointed to see him go. I thought he started last season fantastically well. I thought he looked like a really talented player. Obviously, for a German player adapting to a new country and a new league, there was obviously going to be teething issues. But And I understand that Benfica have quite a lot of attacking options on the books at the moment. But I still feel like this is kind of a failure on Benfica's part not to get the best out of him and to make it work, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of similarities to, to the Pedrinho deal, isn't there? You know, departing for the same the same money they bought him for, like, no profit made there. And I think you made a good point. I think both, Walshman especially, I think clearly showed he had potential. And what, one thing that's confused me is that he was being started in the league at the beginning of the season. And if if that was Jorge Zeus trying to 
convince him to stay by saying, look, I am going to play you. Because he wasn't getting paid enough last season. Mm. Or, or or I don't know, they were just putting in the shot window. I don't know, but if, if we're going to look at into more depth into Benfica's you know, strategy, you're absolutely right when you say like, you know, Walshman, Pedrino, if they had a couple of decent seasons, they could have been moving to big clubs for big money and for them to depart. And and Walshman as well, like Wolfsburg aren't a, a big German team. I mean, you know the name, but mm. they're not Champions League. Mm. You know, they're rarely Europa League and to go from a Champions League club like Benfica, like a, a, that statue. And I felt like he wanted to move out, but I feel like... um. I imagine he felt he wasn't treated right last season and, uh, and it's a real shame. Yeah, I don't doubt that he, he was looking for a move away. And and you mentioned Pedrinho there. I think that's a really good comparison, a player that came with a lot of promise, wasn't really given the opportunities, moved on. And interestingly, Pedrinho has now put in some really fantastic performances for Shakhtar Donetsk. So proving really that he did have the talent after all. I wonder whether Fulchmitt would do a similar thing. And the other name, Barney, of course, is Darwin Nunez, who there are now growing, growing links that he will move to Brighton in the Premier League for €30 million. Euros. I mean, it was only this time last year when we were talking about the rumours linking Darwin Nunes with Barcelona for €100 million. Euros. So I think those three players, you know, three players who were signed last year, very promising, relatively big money signings, uh, who have really just not lived up to potential, whether that's their fault, whether that's mismanagement, but it just does show three very key transfer failings from Benfica in recent times. And it is a shame that they seem to be cutting their losses and letting the players go because I feel like there is talent there as we've seen with Pedrinho. But look, if that's the decision, if that's the route that Benfica want to go down, then that's up to them. Because there's other players in that squad who, you know, Pedrinho midfielders, other midfielders I'd rather see go, Walshmitt and attacking players, other attacking players I'd rather see go from that Benfica team. And it's, it's the... It's the ones with promise and potential like bigger incomes that are down the line that they're letting go. So yeah, a bit of a confusing one. Uh, but one player I wanted to just quickly say about another departure from the league was Lufus Singh, seeing him mm. uh, leave from Braga, uh, going to FC Copenhagen. I think um, really sad to see him go. I really love seeing him at Pastor Freire last season. And an interesting move as well, you know, like it, so so many times we've seen players from the Portuguese league go to Saudi Arabia, but all the way up in Denmark. A, a good club though, like, a, a, you know, a really good club. Um, so yeah, good move for him, but sad to see him go. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen a Portuguese team take a chance on him, especially because of some of the performances he put in last mm. year. But we'll always have the memory of uh, of that goal that oh, he scored yes. last year, my goal of the season, and uh, a goal <laughs> that will live long in my memory. <laughs> All right, well, let's do this week's Premier League roundup. And we usually start with the big three, but we're not actually going to spend all that long on them this week, as it was pretty much business as usual for, for two of the sides, at least. Sporting beat Bisa 2 0 with goals from Pellinia and Inacio. And Benfica also won 2 0, beating Gil Vicente with goals from Verissimo. And one of the goals of the season so far, easily from Grimaldo. So it's well worth going looking back at the highlights of that, if just for. That goal, But I think, Barney, we should talk a little bit about Porto, who only managed a 1-1 draw against Maritimo in Madeira. And I hate to do it, Barney, but to be honest, I do want to start by talking about the pitch, just because I think there's been so much chat about it online, with pitches going around social media showing the state that the pitch is in. Undoubtedly, considering it's only the third game of the season, the pitch is in shocking condition, you know, the type of condition that we shouldn't be seeing at this level of football. But that said, I was very disappointed with some of the rhetoric online 
essentially blaming Marito for the state of the pitch and therefore for the fact that Porto dropped points almost because of the pitch. Something that I totally disagree with. And I actually want to shout out uh, Mario from Benfica After 90 podcast who put a tweet out which I thought perfectly summed up what I was thinking. Essentially saying that, you know, it's fine to moan about the state of their pitch, but if you're a club that's benefiting from a financial system in the league, which gives you all the money that's available and teams like Marinto who are left with pretty much nothing, you really can't complain when you turn up at those teams and the facilities are not really up to scratch, especially after a year of a pandemic, you know, which saw small clubs' finances hit dramatically. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point to make. Um I mean, it, yeah, I agree. It, is, it was a bit, it was an absolutely dreadful state. Um, mm. But like, yeah, you, you you can't blame it on the result. I mean, both teams were playing on that pitch. You know, I, I know that there was there was a couple of horribly scuffed shots that comes to mind. Little bubbles like Tony Myers from like a foot out uh, that comes and Tavia. Yes, yes. <laughs> but then you know, Jadas is on the same pitch and manages to put in a finish like that. Like absolutely, you know I mean? absolutely. Well, look, it is worth saying that after the game, the pitch was. Uh, suspended by the league actually they're saying they won't be allowed to play a game on the pitch for the next couple of weeks I believe this is correct someone can correct me if my information is wrong but I believe the situation is um, Maritimo will not be allowed to play on the pitch in on that pitch for two weeks until they've done the league have done another check to see if the conditions have improved that doesn't actually affect Maritimo in the league because their next match is an away game and after that we have the international break so Obviously, if anything hasn't improved by then, then we may see a situation where they have to find somewhere else to play. That thing does like uh, that would frustrate me if I was Porto because if they're able to make a decision the day after a game, surely mm. they should have been able to make that decision the day before a game. You know, mm. it, it, you know, and it feels very reactionary and very like you know because of the scenes on TV. Then that's that's why you know if if they were doing their job properly, you know, these pitch inspectors were regularly. That that's the only thing I would say in, in terms of Porto. No, that is a very fair point, and I think I understand that frustration from Porto fans. But again, we're talking about you know, how the pitch has affected poor Porto in this situation, you know. Mm. My opinion is just who's standing up for a team like Maritimo, who, you know, it's all well and good, big free fans complaining about having to play on pitches like Maritimo once a season. Maritimo got to play there every other week, you know. Mm. And if big three fans think that playing on that pitch uh, damp harms your level of performance, then what does that say about a team like Maritimo who have to play there 17 times, 17, 18 times a season, you know. So I think... Uh, it's easy to to point the finger at Marito Mo, and obviously, you know, it's easy to say, oh, they should just be dealing with their pitch better, but it costs a lot of money that probably they don't have. And you know, if if Porto are so concerned about playing on good pitches every week, why don't they put their hands in their pocket and fund some of these smaller teams to improve their pitches? Anyway, let's go back to the game. Obviously, it ended one-one, Barney, and I think it will be especially disappointing for Porto fans to be the first out of the big three to drop points this season, especially at, you know, so-called lower opposition who they would expect to beat. But I don't know about you, but when I actually think about the game, I don't really think of this as a disastrous performance. I think they created quite a few good chances, but ultimately for me, it just felt like one of those games where they just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and it reminded me of um, this tie last season where um, I think they lost and uh, Nani was absolutely ripping them apart and then they went on to buy them, didn't they? Quite soon after yeah, that, that performance. Yeah. I agree with you. I thought the performance was uh, was, was all right. I think um, Luis Diaz looked absolutely fantastic again, um, d- deserved his goal. I did anticipate Marito to be quite defensive, but Porto always seems to be able to find a pass through. I thought that was good. But if I was going to drill down a little bit and, and, and look for... to 
just point the finger at something. It would be conscious I was starting 11 and his decisions he's made there. I think Makano coming back, great to see, but putting him at left back. For me, that is clearly a point being made by conscious after mm. last week's game. You know, even Manafort or Sanusi would have been offered more going forward in this game compared to Makano. You know, because they had Maritimo pinned back for most of this game, didn't they? And if you've got Makano at left back, he never offers any overlap ever. And what what Diaz thrives on sometimes is having someone to offer that width to him so he can cut inside. And we see how dangerous when he comes inside. But constantly, I felt like he was having to go around the outside of the Maritimo fullback, and it, it just didn't quite work. And then, and the other one, Albert, is uh, Sergio Oliveira. I think he should have been playing in this alongside Bruno Costa. We saw against B said a couple of weeks ago that them two were able to break through that B said back line. But I think with Rebe, you don't get that creativity. And for me, Sergio Oliveira does offer that forward pass. So I think that was a mistake too. And I think that's uh, potentially what cost them. Of course, as you alluded to earlier, there were opportunities such as Tony Martinez inexplicably putting his foot on the ball from two yards out when he needs to put it in the back of the net. Of all the players you want, in that position to put that chance away. You pick Tony Martinez and somehow he's he's managed to scuff it. So maybe you could say just one of those days for Porto. We have to, again, as you touched on, give great credit to the goal from Bruno Shalas, who I was so delighted to see score such an excellent goal and to see doing well from Ritimo because I just still have a soft spot for him from his Braga days. I, he's just a player that I want to see doing well. I want to see him on the pitch, creating, playing positive football. And it was a lovely moment for me when he scored, just because I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, and I do think we've got to give credit to Maritimo. I think, you know, I mentioned that game last season and they would have looked at that and just thought, look, we'll do the same. We'll hit them on the counter-attack. Their new signings, Andre Vidigal in attack and um, mm. Vita Costa, the left wing back, were great at that, getting them up the pitch quickly. Um, and obviously that's where the goal came from. And then, like you mentioned, Jadas, I think he's... I was just I loved him in the middle. I just thought it was like because um obviously Joe Tagu was out not in this game, and I was interested to see where the goal was gonna where the goals were gonna come from if they were to get any and and how the attack would shape up. But yeah, I mentioned Andre Vidigal, him and Jalas. Yeah, I think it was really good and a really good tactical display from Maurice. Yeah, some positive signs and maybe some cautious optimism around Maritimo, a team who last year you know really were involved in basically a great escape from the relegation zone and. Uh, this season, you know, put some decent performances towards the end of the back of last season. And if they could bring that into this season and keep some consistency, who knows where they could they could end up at the end of this season. Well, let's move on, Barney. Another fantastic game from last week, tucked away on Friday night, was Morrowinds 2, Braga 3, five goals in the game and a last-minute winner from for Braga, courtesy of Ricardo Water. A very interesting game for me, though, Barney, because I remember watching it during the first half and thinking Morrowinds are playing really well here. They're playing some good football. They seem to almost be on top and then somehow going into the break 2-0 down after two goals in two minutes. Obviously, they had a good comeback in the second half. But in my opinion, I think they'll be disappointed that they didn't get something out of the game. You know, I think we, were, we, we didn't give them much of a chance in the previous show, did we? We, mm. we were both a bit down on them. But I think they've shown that like they're still this solid team that we saw last season. I mean, that you know, obviously Santa Clara and Pastor Ferrer got themselves into conference league but they were right up there, you know, and they, they never had a, a, a real wobble. They were consistently safe, well above the relegation zone. And I see them having a very similar um, season, this one. I think, I agree with you. I think they, they they were very comfortable in this game. I think the goals weren't lucky, but they, you know, they, they did catch them by surprise, didn't they? And and, and that's what's interesting for me, Alex, because I'm going to flip it now and from a Braga point of view, because I, 
it was a weird Braga performance to sort of be on the back foot, but then come away with the three points. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And in fact, for me, I, I'm still not quite convinced by Braga this season. Obviously, it was a wonderful goal to nick the winner. And I expect nothing less from Ricardo Horta other than top class, which he really did show with that strike to win it. But I just think there's a lot more work to be done defensively. Offensively, I think they've got some great options. I thought Mario Gonzalez had an excellent game, even though he hasn't got on the score sheet yet, I think. He really made that first goal for Fabio Martins. He took that speculative shot on, which forced the keeper into a mistake, which Martins then pounced on. And then actually, I thought Abel Ruiz came on and, and he did really well up front and was unlucky not to get a goal from his yeah, chance. He should, so have scored. he should have scored. So there was plenty of chances there going forward. But I do think there's a lot of work to be done defensively. The wing-backs, I think, are good. Good options there, but the centre-backs just leave me worried at times. They started this game with Tormena, Raul Silva, and the new centre-back, Paolo Oliveira. Oliveira, I like. Very good mm. signing, but the other two, I'm just not convinced they they have the quality to get Braga really where they want to be. Yeah, I think they want David Kama back as, as quickly as possible. Um, uh, Galena, I've always been a bit doubtful when he's been played at left wing-back, but I think this game sort of convinced me. He obviously got the assist for the Yuri Medeiros goal, and he was always an option out wide. So nice to see you. Did you see Yuri Medeiros' reaction to his goal? Was he really was nice so happy, see. yeah, and it was really nice to see, obviously, coming back from that injury. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's something... I think of Bragov having so many attacking midfielders, but not quite getting the right combination of, you know what I mean? If Galeno is going to be playing at left wing back, you know, who do you play either side of the striker? Who do you play alongside Ad and Rizzarati? Like, it, it, I don't think they've quite worked out what that best combination is. What I will say, though, is that I think Fabio Martins is, for me, a nailed-on star in that attack now. Mm, okay. I, I've been so impressed with him this, so far this season. I think and it just begs the question why they sent him out on loan last season. Well, again, I think they did have a lot of options, but as you say, he did really well at... Um... At Family Cow in that season, yeah. Before he went out on loan, and and yeah, it's good to have him back in the league, you know. Because I agree with you, I think he's a good player. I'm not sure quite what his his ceiling is as a player, what level he could reach. But for for Braga, you know, he's a great player. I'm sure making great contribution. Just to go back to Morrowinds quickly before we finish, Bonnie. I think because as I said, I think they probably will be disappointed not to get anything out of the game. They did so well to get those two goals back and get them to within touching distance of a draw. Obviously. You can't expect to get much out of a game if you concede three goals, but they did score two themselves, two decent goals. Uh, new boy Paulinho, I thought, grabbed a really nice second goal, that lovely volley that found its way into the, the roof of the net. And one player that I just loved watching, Barney, a player that sort of came to the, to the front around the middle and the end of last season is Abdu Conte at left-back, who just mm. continues to impress me every time I watch him. Such a funny player, Barney. He's built like a centre-back, but he plays left-wing-back, bombing up and down the wing. He's a fantastic player in a league where there's not so many great standout left backs. I think uh, he's a good option. I'm a little surprised they've still got him. I, I thought he would be moving because there was even rumours of the Cubs outside of the league uh, elsewhere in Europe. And um, I know I, I feel like I always talk about around Morins, but Rafael Martins as well. I think he just, oh. he's, uh, he always got, always just like he's like how is he 32 and like oh his lovely shiny head and just like hairing around <laughs> the pitch. <laughs> I love him, like a little pit bull running around the pitch. And by pit bull, I mean the singer, not the dog. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on, Barney. Let's move on to the other side of the Mino derby. Vittoria versus Vitella. Now, we've got to talk about this game, Barney, because after two very disappointing games for Vittoria, we were asking for a response. And boy, did we get it with a 4-0 victory over Vitella. Four second-half goals and a much-improved result on recent times. 
boy, did they need that. Oh, yeah. I was, um, it was a really interesting game, this one, wasn't it? I, I, I wasn't expecting it, but I was very, I was very glad to see the changes made by Pepper to the team. I think mm. they were, they, even though not necessarily all of them, um, well, the reason for the for this result, I think um, players coming on like Edwards, who I'm sure we're going to talk about, was made a difference. But, I, but but the reason I also found this game interesting is because I think you know Vizela could have been two 0 up in in the first half. It was like yeah, you know, such fine margins from our side, and um, really good opportunities, really good finishes as well. But then I think overall, to be fair to Victoria, they were they were the better team, they, and, and so much better than the, the last few weeks. Well, we were talking about. Victoria as a team, a cursed team, you know, were mm. this team ever going to get any luck? And it just feels like this is the game where they got the luck that they needed. As you say, both Vizella had the ball at the back of the net twice before Victoria, both times ruled out for offside. And then you get, and then Victoria get that penalty, which I have to be totally honest, I think it was a very light penalty. Yeah. I think they were very lucky to get it, but it gave them just that spark that they needed. Um, and they really turned, they really turned the result away. Marcus Edwards, what a game. We were quite harsh on him the last couple of weeks because I think his performances have been pretty poor, but he looked massively improved. Back to his best, looked really bright, running at defenders, causing havoc, created chances. Obviously, he won the penalty that they scored, got an assist and got himself a goal. So when he's on his A game, the kid's just got so much talent. And I'll tell you what, last season when he was dropped by Jao Henriques and when he came back in the team, we didn't see that reaction. We didn't see that positive reaction. Mm. But with Pepper, you know, not starting this game, look what he did when he came on, man. Like, that, hopefully that that implies as you know, there's a better understanding between him and him and Pepper than there was with Jai Henrique because it was a it was an incredible performance. I think another decision by Pepper um, is stupid in coming back. I think he's been injured from preseason. That's why we haven't seen him yet. And obviously. It's interesting because there's a lot of rumors still linking him or with a move away. But if I was Pepper, I'd be doing everything I could to keep him at this club because the difference he made in their attack compared mm. to Girate, I think, was mm. just almost night and day. I think he was so it was just a menace in, his, in the box. Yeah, I, I, I was I, I love this performance from him. Yeah, we know how difficult it is to get decent strikers in these days for for the kind of price tag that Victoria can be able to afford. So the fact that they've got a player on their books who just knows how to put the ball in the back of the net is invaluable. And as you say, Pepper, I think, in, you know, and Marcus is a good example with this. He's a player who will, he's a good, obviously, I don't know, I've never been inside one of his training sessions, but you just get the impression that he's a great man manager who knows how to motivate the players, knows how to get them to perform. And I think, that's what this Victoria team needs with players who are probably low on confidence, low on self-belief. He need they need a manager who will get the best out of their game. And and he's starting to do that with with Edwards and and you know a few other players dotted around in the pitch as well. You notice that a few of them are starting to uh to step up with their level of performance. Well, one player that came into the team was uh, Thomas Handel, the defensive mid covering the suspended Semedo. I think he's been promoted uh, from the youth team by Pepper this season. And I, I, um, interesting guy, Portuguese and Austrian uh, nas- uh, dual nationality. So that's the name. But um, uh, I thought it was a brilliant game, man. I think um, I liked his performance more than I've seen of Semedo, and I've been pre- impressed with Semedo. He had the third most touches by anyone on the pitch, 93% pass accuracy. Wow. Five aerials won, which was um, the topmost joint with a stupid. And the, this is the statistic I liked out. He, he played six long balls and all six of them were accurate. And I think I think in this game, the difference for this Victoria side was they were quicker in attack. They were getting the ball at the pitch quicker. And that, that was creating better opportunities because the Stupin was able to run in, get in behind defenders. And when you had 
when you had Thomas Handel just picking out long balls and bringing in players like Rafa Suarez and Fale Sacco into play in, in dangerous crossing situations with a stooping in the box, it was just, it was lovely stuff. And that was the difference for me for this Victoria side. They were much quicker, much more direct. Well, we saw a few young players make their breakthroughs last season. Held Asar, Andre Almeida. So, you know, maybe Handel will be will be the next one of those. Andre Almeida, of course, signing a new deal this, this week for another five years. So we just know what young players uh, Victoria have on their books. Obviously a difficult day at the office for for Vizella Barney. Just not their day. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but for me, I've just put that down. Not their day. Two goals ruled out. And they were just on the wrong end of what seemed like a a moment for Victoria, if you see what I mean. Yes. I, I mean, I would be worried though, because, you know, the first goal came in the 70th minute. And, and by then, you know, you've only got 20 minutes left. You're still in the game if you get, if you get a call mm. back. And for mm. them to almost capitulate and for that that would be the worrying sign because but you know we still still seeing this creativity this um Cassiano looking trouble like, uh, difficult again up top you know they, they they do have that bright spark but um yeah a bit of a problem from Victoria for any of our English football fans listening I feel like we can make a comparison between Vizela and maybe a Norwich you know that promoted team that come up mm. stick quite rigidly by their principles the way they want to play they'll get the occasional drubbing but then also they'll put in the occasional great performance so you know I'm sure Vizela will have better days than this one well let's do another game Barney Tondela nil Portimonens three Portimonens grabbing their second win of the season with a very very convincing win away at Tondela Tondela Barney you were only just going on about last week their amazing home form so not sure what's happened there. That's out the window. <laughs> <laughs> They've got nothing now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, yeah, a bit of a surprise, I have to say. I, I, I was slightly surprised. But I mean, if you if you drill down into it, and like you know, Tunde had sixty one percent possession. You know, mm. and I feel like this was a a more of a reflection on Porto Menz's clinicalness, which we saw them do against um, Victoria first game of the season, where they, you know, they if they weren't going to have the ball much and they were just going to sit, you know, but they can they can get a goal. They can put the ball mm. in the back of the net. They had, um, Tonde had 11 shots compared to Porto Menz's seven. And, you know, mm. Porto Menz, of those seven shots, five were on target. Three of them a goal. You know, Beto's off the mark. They got those people to finish. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was good. Yeah, to be fair, I thought Tondela actually played pretty well, as you say, created a lot of chances. But again, it was just Portimonense putting their chances away. Obviously, the penalty was a very straightforward finish, but the other two fantastic goals, that free kick from Fali Kande, sublime. Who knew he had that in his locker? Um, I know, Abbott, I think the Beto's goal with the pass and William, that he's a centre-back, but he was playing in central defensive mid in this game. And the way he just sort of rushed sneak the ball and then just lofted it over. I mean, you know, this game was, he was immense in midfield and, and that is my favourite type of player. Albert, a a centre-back who can play defensive mid, the Eric Dyer position, but, yeah, and uh, there's probably better examples, but, and it's not the other way around. It's not a defensive mid who can slot in at centre-back. It's a centre-back who then goes and plays defensive mid. Yeah, I thought it was a really good play from William. Yeah, I, I wrote down I wrote down notes about his performance as well because he really caught my eye. It's interesting with Porto because we do talk about them a lot and we often bang on about the same, you know, the same faces. Uh, but he's someone that recently I've really started to come around to as a key player in that squad. Really underrated centre-back, I think. Someone that can really kick on and have a great season. And if he does, I can see bigger clubs sniffing around for a player like him because, yeah, as you say, so talented. The way he assisted that first goal was was really lovely to watch. 
sorry to sort of go the opposite way of what you were just saying there, but I, I do want to talk about Bo Morty again because one uh, of the same old faces. Yeah. <laughs> because I just think it's worth repeating his story. Like, you know, he's the, the nephew of the legendary Louis Bo Morty. But when you look at his the way he's got got up into this league, he's worked right from these very, very small clubs, came up through I think the biggest club he's been up is Estrel and then moved to Port and Lens. But a such a dangerous winger in this league. You know, it was it was brilliant in this game. You know, he's 27 years old. He's hitting his prime now. And I, and I mentioned it recently, I you know, I I could see him at a brog. I could see him at a Vitzfor. And I think he's he's worked his way up into this position. And it's just I like one of one of my absolute favourite players in this league. Mm, couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, someone that you could see playing at, at a higher level, I think, you know, if he obviously his age is what, 27? Yeah, yeah. 27, 28. So yeah, he's not got many years left, but he's in his peak and, and he's really starting to starting to perform. Well, let's just touch on one more game before we finish this week's Premier League roundup. Aruka versus Famalicao, another game on the Friday. It ended 2-1 to Aruka, but it wasn't a game without controversy. New Famalicao centre-back, Batabin Sika, had a goal ruled out by VAR for handball, the VAR decision took at least five minutes and it was a very contentious handball decision. At the time, I was convinced it was handball because I thought his arm clearly moved towards the ball to control it. But what a lot of people on Twitter have rightly pointed out is that there was an earlier incident which you could have argued was a handball in the box for family cows. So a very contentious decision. Unfortunately, another decision which I think just adds to the debate about the standard of refereeing in this league. But nonetheless, it ended 2-1 to Aruka with Leandro Silva growing an 89th-minute winner. And as a neutral, at least you can say it was a great game with great drama. I think credit to Aruka. I mean, this is a good, a great win for them. I think they might have edged it. You know, they had um, 22 shots compared to Famalicao's 10. I just feel like Famalicao is still, you know, I'm just going to go back to the defensive issues. I'm going to do that a lot because something's not right there. The team feels a little imbalanced now, but I think, you know, there's, been, there's a lot of signings and I still don't think they've got this starting 11 quite right, um, particularly in attack as well. I think they've been going with um, no out-and-out strike order. They did change it up for this game. And to make matters worse, they, they, they're playing two Rodriguez's on either wing, so it's impossible <laughs> for me to tell. <laughs> no, but yeah, I get, I get exactly the same impression from them as you, Barney. I think there's just something this season because, you know, and, and if I'm going to be wrong about this, you know, I'll happily hold my hands up, but I was so impressed with how they finished the season that I was convinced they would be up there challenging for Europe this season, but it just seems like there is something missing. Last week, I said it was their their hunger, their drive. Who knows? Maybe there's just something right, not right, right with with the group of players they've got at the moment. They're trying to, they're trying their hardest in their transfer market. They've been signing quite a few players recently. It remains to see what kind of state they're in once the transfer window is over and they've had a chance to gel that team together. But yeah, definitely not quite the same family cow that we saw ending last season in such an impressive fashion. But as you say, for Aruka, a vital win. Their first win of the season, their first points of the season. Uh, and a good win for a team that I think a lot of people thought would be the newly promoted team which struggled the most. Yeah, and there were some good performances like to, to get these points over Ryan Castro, the goalkeeper, uh, mm. did very well. And obviously Basso, the centre-back, getting a goal. But um, yeah, they'll be really happy with that. Um, hope And, you know, this, this this can be the start of their season. That's what everyone says, isn't it? This is the start of their season. They can build from there. Absolutely. <laughs>
before we round up the show this week, we want to have a little discussion about an excellent article that you can find on tugascout.com, the website run by Alex Gonsalves. Uh, and it's an article entitled The Fundamental Flaw in How European Clubs Utilise the Portuguese Transfer Market. This is an article all about the gems that we all know are there and available in the Portuguese league outside the big three for relatively relatively small price tag compared to other European leagues, but which are just simply not being utilised outside of Portugal. Now, Barney, you spent a lot of time reading this article. I wonder if you want to kick us off with this conversation about, about what you took from, from reading this. Well, I think the biggest thing for me, which um, this article articulates really well, is that you know not only do we have in this league the the imbalance of finances, you know, because of the TV rights deal, which, but the fact that European clubs aren't seeing the worth of these players from the clubs outside the big three, it just means it's easy for the big three to pick them up. If you look on transfer market, the the biggest transfers out of the Portuguese league, the top 100, there were only three players who weren't from a big three club. And that was Trincao going to Barcelona, mm. Akajima going to the United Arab Emirates before coming back to Porto for, for less than what he went to the United Arab Emirates for. And uh, Eben taps over from Vitor Gramarach, who's now at um, Leverkusen and remember with big moves. You know, those are the only three out of the top 100. And it, Incredible. It, it, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem right. And of course, what this means is that the big three are picking up these players and then moving them on for money. Um, Rafinha, who's now doing really well at Leeds, is a prime example of this. You know, because every tour Grimash moved to Sporting for less than 10 million euros and then moved from Sporting to Rennes for a lot more, like mm. you know, 20, 30 million. And, and, and so the big clubs are profiting and, and, and that's it's just another element of this league which isn't quite fair to the smaller clubs. A hundred percent. And it's really interesting, as you say, only three out of the top 100 transfers leaving the Premier League come from a club outside of the top three. Seems like an astounding figure considering, you know, a player that we discussed earlier in the show, Carlos Junior, someone who's able to score goals and a proven goal scorer at this level and would undoubtedly be a valuable asset to many, many European teams, even teams playing, you know, at a Europa League level. So really is an outstanding uh, outstanding statistic. I suppose the next question you have to ask yourself then is why is that? Why is it that teams are not considering the Primera Liga as a as a viable place to to scout for talent? Is it a reputation thing? Is it simply that Portugal is not a uh, common place to to have scouts? Because I feel like if I was the CEO of a club trying to perhaps outside of one of the uh, top European clubs, let's say for example. Just as an example on top of my head, if I was the CEO of Celtic, a team that wants to compete in Europe every year, but of course don't quite have the finances of some of the uh, other top European clubs, I think Portugal would be the perfect place to look for players. Players like Carlos Junior, players like Ryan Gould, players like Beto, you know, these type of players who have proven ability, but are clearly available, not just for low transfer fees, but also on relatively low salaries. I think the thing that's easy to forget by a lot of people in, in our footballing community, I'm going to say, is, is that we obviously have access to so much data. We have access mm. to so many games that we, we can watch. But I think a lot of football clubs are still run in quite an old way. I think I've forgotten the club and the manager, but it was, uh, it was I saw it on Twitter recently. You know, the guy was like, we don't have a scouting department. So some guys recommend we play and we sign yeah. So some French club, wasn't it? It was, I remember that, yes. And I think we can even draw parallels to what we covered last season with um, 
it's going to sound ridiculous. I would say Ryan Golden yet not getting to the Scotland team. The, the, he, Clark hadn't watched him play, and I think there's you know a lot of clubs in this situation where if you've seen if you've seen Benfica and Porto's exports to top European heavyweight teams, you know they've been doing that for years, and so of course they're going to trust them. They see them in the Champions League, they see them in, in Europa League. And so in a way, this conference could be quite interesting because suddenly there's another way that people can actually see these, these lesser teams, you know, if, if that's a threat. I think it's, yeah, like the point I was trying to make there, sorry, is that it's easy to assume that everyone's like us, you know, keen yeah. to find out players, keen to find out their stories, do the research, put the effort. But then at the end of the day, the, the people aren't, it's stuck in the old ways, they're, they're just not doing it. I also think it's worth saying that having an extensive scouting department undoubtedly costs a lot of money time and resources that these smaller clubs smaller clubs don't have I would just trust the big three to do it you know I just you know it's Benfica Sporting Paul they do it okay well we'll we'll let them do it but going back to Carlos you know who you just brought up there I think this this is another element which is very interesting to to the Portuguese league and that is Saudi Arabia because you know it's not just Carlos Junior it's Fabio Abreu last uh, Mm. last season the money's in Saudi Arabia and players are going to move for the money I found this website salarysport.com um, which is really interesting and I, I, once I found out I couldn't get off it it was just basically this website collected the 50,000 salaries from the world's seven largest sports you know and football being one of them so they go off um, team player press releases um, articles industry experts and team insiders and accurate they're all accurately and reliable source um, uh, salaries of, of current salaries of players in the league when I had a look at it, it was clearly like maybe up to date for the last season, but mm. the majority seemed pretty bang on. Um, and man, when you dig into it and see some of the clubs, okay, it, I, I mean, it, this might be a bit boring because I'm just going to list clubs, names, players, salaries, but like when you hear it, it's just like, mm. wow. So, um, sporting seems to have like a, an average salary between 20 and 25,000. So, like, Quasis is on 22. It's important to say this is per week, sorry, 22,000, yeah, per week. So um, yeah, Kras is in twenty two thousand, Fidel's twenty eight thousand. I imagine because he came from the Spanish league and was on a sure. higher salary before. And then uh, Pedro Gonzalez is on and ten thousand. I'm not sure if that's changed recently, but and of course he signed a new deal. But that ten thousand would have been because he was signed from a Portuguese club. Exactly. Um, and then you see it with Benfica. You know they're averaging slightly more between twenty and forty five thousand. The big owners like Vertonghen naturally coming on for like forty seven thousand a week. Vigo's up apparently fifty six thousand a week. And Porto similar situation. You know Pepe's on fifty two. Corona's on thirty thousand a week. And then Tremi twenty three thousand. One of the lower of the sort of the starting eleven. But then this is when it gets so interesting. Is when you dig into the rest of the league. Like Braga, Braga, uh, Fran Sergio's on eight eight thousand two hundred. Galeno on 7,200. Mm. Um, Marcus Edwards and Chris are both on around 4,000, 4,000, 5,000. Um, Carlos Junior, Santa Clara, 3,400. So this is where you start to see the huge gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to dig even a little deeper, sorry, it's just me listing numbers, but Samuelino, 803 pounds a week. Beto, 839 pounds a week. And, I, and it's it's crazy. Like I wasn't expecting yeah. it to be that vast. Yeah. And I know there'll be performance bonuses involved in that and to top up some of the players from the lowest, from the smaller clubs, but, you know, better on £839 a week. I know, incredible numbers. And, and of course, obviously, even if these numbers aren't 100% correct, what it does show is just the disparity between clubs and, and also the disparity between Portuguese salaries 
and international salary. So it's no wonder, therefore, that these players are looking for moves abroad to the likes of Saudi Arabia, where, for example, if you take Carlos Jr., if we are to believe that that £3,400 a week salary is correct, it's not unrealistic to suspect that he's increasing his salary perhaps by 10 times by mm. going to Saudi Arabia. So obviously we understand it from their perspective. But for me, Barney, these numbers also work the other way around and suggest that if you are able to, to pick up these players who are on low salaries and offer them much increased uh, much increased wages at no real cost to yourself, why is it then that these clubs in Europe aren't? This is another reason for me why they should be looking at uh, players from Portugal and it just beggars belief even more that that they're not taking a chance when these players are are available as such a bargain. I think it's really interesting. And I think it po- possibly something also that we've touched on before about, you know, when we've been comparing this league to trying to pick it, pick out clubs and where they would fit in the in the English tier system and what leagues these clubs have been. Because when you look at the stadium, when you look at the facilities, you know, they're very similar to that of the lower leagues in English football. Mm. But that's the that's the real crux and the, the real interest for me in Portuguese football is that what's going on in the pitch is at a much higher standard. Hmm. And, you know, we, there's lots of talk about the coefficient with all the European action going in and increasing that perhaps in Portugal, you know, at the end of the season, we could be seeing them at, as, you know, the fifth best league in Europe. And then, uh, but by far, the, the, when what's evident from this website is that the salaries are, are, are nowhere near the fifth highest in Europe. They're, you know, they're probably eighth, ninth, tenth, I don't know. So, you know, that's what's great about this league. Well, it's the start of a very, very long debate about injections of money from TV rights, how these players should be, how money should be distributed from the top clubs to the bottom clubs. It's a whole can of worms that we could get into in so many ways. And these are debates that are being are being had by people all over Portuguese football and, and have been for years. But it is really interesting to see on paper, written down, the disparity between Portuguese clubs and clubs abroad. Yeah, I'll, I'll repeat it. Salarysport.com for anyone that's listening, but I, I warn you, once you find it and get into it, it's very hard to get off. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we know all very well about the gems that you're able to find by looking at Portuguese football. That's why we do it. And we know that's why you watch as well. Well, look, that's about all we've got time for for this week's show. Before we go, we're just going to talk about what football you might be able to catch on UK TV this week. Uh, after a weekend which saw three games broadcast on, on British TV for the first time in a very long time. This week, BT Sport have announced that on Sunday at 6pm they'll be showing Benfica versus Tondela. So if you're new to Portuguese football and you want to check a game out, we highly recommend you looking at that. Also, Free Sports often announce what games they're going to be showing quite late in the day. So make sure you're following us on Twitter at Football, where we'll try and give a shout out to any game that's being shown on UK TV with free sports. I mean, it's great that Benfica and Tonea is on Sunday at six o'clock, but I think I'm going to be trying to watch uh, Braga Vitoria. Same time, same day. Ooh, the Mino derby. Oh, yes. one of the highlights of the calendar. So it's going to be very hard to choose between those two games. Well, look, we're going to leave it there for this week. Thank you so much for listening and for all the support this season so far. We're going to be back next week with another roundup of all the Premier League of fixtures, European football chat, news and conversation around Portuguese football. Keep an eye out for that bonus episode after me and Barney's trip to White Hart Lane. Keep your ears peeled because hopefully we'll be able to share something exciting with you all. But I just need to say, Barney, thanks again and we will see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.